Welcome back, everybody, to the J-Notes Blast podcast. I'm your host, Jared Woodcox, and uh, good news, jazz basketball is back. Uh, obviously, we're still just in the preseason, but still awesome to see the guys suiting up uh, back in action once again. The 2019-20 season is just around the corner, and I could not be uh, any more ecstatic about it. Really looking forward to things. Uh, for today's podcast, obviously going to be talking about exactly that jazz preseason, some of the stuff leading up to it. Uh, my J-Notes colleague, Ryan Aston is going to be joining uh, the show today over the phone. I'll welcome him on here shortly. Uh, but for our three points today, first and foremost, we're going to be talking about our thoughts and impressions from you know all the things leading up to, to the jazz season, such as media day, training camp, various interviews and things we've seen there. That'll be point number one. Uh, for point two, we're going to talk specifically about this first preseason game the Jazz had on Saturday night against the Adelaide 36ers uh, from Australia's NBL. Obviously a very big, easy win for the Jazz, but still some really cool things to take away from that. And then uh, third, we're going to be talking about for point number three, some of the things we're most excited about for this upcoming season. And while there's a lot of things that have been uh, really talked to death, we specifically want to talk about three kind of more under-the-radar aspects or storylines of the upcoming season that we're looking forward to. So that's the agenda for the show today. Uh, Before jumping into that, though, I wanted to give a quick shout-out. I have had a few more five-star reviews received on iTunes. I really appreciate that, you guys. Some of those were anonymous, but that's totally fine. Thank you anyway. Um, A couple that left comments as well. I want to give a shout-out to McCade. Thank you for the five-star rating. Calls it the best jazz podcast around means a ton to me uh, the other one was from biking zach i uh, called it smart and well done mentioned this podcast stands out podcast excuse me stands out from others so i really appreciate you both mccade and biking zach as well as the other uh, five-star reviews that came in this week anyhow with all that said let's go ahead and jump in now to the show as i said point number one i'll welcome ryan Aston over the phone and we'll get talking about our thoughts from jazz media day and training camp point one all right. Well, first and foremost, I'm excited to welcome uh, my J Notes partner in crime, Ryan Aston, who'll be joining the show today over the phone. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm great. It's awesome to be back on the the J Notes Blast podcast. I know. I think you and I are gonna have a blast together, Ryan. It's it's been way too long. And <laughs> excited to have you back on the show. Um, a little bit, I you know, you know, we, we, we tend to keep things pretty jazz and, and NBA centered on the show, but I know that it's not really new news anymore for you, Ryan, but for our listeners out there, some pretty cool news that uh, Ryan is now a proud father, so that, that's exciting since the last time we had you on the show. Yeah, I, I don't know how that's going to work with, with basketball games now, but, but we're trying to figure it out. It's going to happen. <laughs> You'll have to convert him from, an, from a young age. He'll just have to get used to watching. <laughs> that's right. Well, anyway, you know, for our first thing here, obviously, it's pretty awesome that the Jazz are back. Um, you know, yesterday's game uh, against the 36ers was, was pretty riveting, you know, a 52-point victory. Uh, but more than anything, it was just great to see everybody back on the floor. And for this first point, before we even get to that game against the 36ers, um, you know, Ryan, I really just wanted to talk about, you know, your thoughts and my thoughts from everything that we've seen leading up to the season so far, you know, both media day, uh, some of the quotes from training camp, and just really, you know, get some thoughts put together and some impressions put together. So I'm curious to ask you, um, if you kind of break down just a summary of, of your biggest thoughts or biggest impressions, what has stood out to you the most about media day, training camp, etc. as we get closer to the season starting? Well, obviously, it's like super positive and we're all feeling good and every team's undefeated right now and optimism abounds and that's all great. And I mean, how can you not be optimistic about team with Cavs to watch this year? Um, <laughs> but I, I, I hate to start a, a negative thing, but, but um, the doc 
Dante Exum's situation is, it's just, it continues to be crazy. Right. Um, he's here, he's ahead of schedule, and he's making all this progress, and it just feels like it's as mysterious as, as ever. I mean, Dennis Lindsay says it's just clinical at this point, but, but what does that even mean? Right. And we don't know if he's going to play in the preseason at all, really, and it's just, it's really unfortunate because he, he's so talented, and we all like him as a worker and as a kid, but it's just unfortunate how things are playing out. Yeah, I agree 100%, and um, you mean it kind of gives me, you know, a little bit of bad deja vu. I mean, we've had a lot of this throughout his career, but particularly when you think back to last year when he had that ankle injury that we thought was just going to be a quick recovery and you you mentioned the word mysterious Ryan and, and really this feels kind of similar that felt kind of similar too that that was mysterious as well that it just kept being prolonged and prolonged and finally you know he did come back yeah he did come back and lasted you know what three games I think it was before he had the, the next knee injury and so it's just really hard to know what to think about the whole situation I agree with you yeah, it's really unfortunate, um, but it'll be nice when he does get out there to see him. And this is, I almost feel like a make or break year for him. I mean, he has, right. he has some time, but it, it's got to happen, or the Jazz have to move on. I almost like. Yeah, the, the clock's definitely ticking, and I think the good news is, I'm pretty sure in a recent article I read from The Athletic from Tony Jones, um, apparently, and you allude to this, but apparently optimism is still there that he'll be ready to go uh, for the first regular season game. But even even that, yeah. it just feels kind of arbitrary. The whole thing feels interesting. Okay, even if he is ready, how much is he actually going to be able to play or contribute? We're just in a kind of wait-and-see mode right now, I think. For sure. The good thing, though, is they're not counting on him to be the backup point guard or anything. And, and they have. They're so deep now. I mean, yeah. It's hard to really expect anything from him, and that's fine. They'll be just fine without him. But but if if he can somehow get on the court and, and start to progress, it's it's going to be huge for the Jazz. Yeah, it, it raises our ceiling exponentially. Um, I mean, if we can have that best version of him. Um, not even the best potential version. I would say even if we just have the best version of what he's already shown, um, you know, the, the yeah. series against the Rockets uh, two years ago, um, that stretch last year, you know, from December to January where he was so good, even if he doesn't grow from there and we just have that version, he raises our ceiling tenfold almost. It's, it'd just be awesome to see him For back sure. in, that, in that shape. For sure. One thing I wanted to mention to you, Ryan, and, and honestly, I didn't, I didn't have planned to start out negative either, but I think it's important to talk through these things, is... Um, like you said, everyone's optimistic and everyone's really excited. I am as well. Like you just look at this team and, and, uh, you know, the excitement surrounding them and the chemistry and, and, you know, on paper, it looks like a great team, but are we in some way setting ourselves up for a big letdown? Like, do you think that we maybe were overhyping ourselves or is that just us being jazz fans being a little insecure based on past disappointments or what are your thoughts there? <laughs> I honestly, I feel like on paper, like uh, all the hype and everything that everybody's saying is right on target. But it just takes a moment. It just takes one injury right. for everything to go out the window. I, I honestly don't have any concerns about anybody's ability to fit in um, right. or mesh on the floor. We, we see a lot of, of signs early that they're going to have some good chemistry. I mean, it's, it's training camp and then preseason. So, I mean, we have to see how that translates when we're playing games that matter and, you know, we're on the third game in four nights 
in January and maybe you've lost a few. Yeah. Um, but right now, everything looks good, and, and I don't see any reason why there's anything to worry about. But, but like I said, just and almost any team in the NBA is just an injury away from, from their season being derailed. I mean, look at the Warriors. Right. Granted, for them it took two injuries, but but still the the fact remains. Yeah. Like, like you say, like we all thought they were a shoe in to win the whole thing, and then how quickly that came, you know, unraveling once they lost Durant and Thompson. And you know, like obviously, I don't yeah. want to see an injury to anybody. And this is a little bit of a quick tangent, but I don't want to see an injury to anybody. But I still would have been really interested just to see what that Warriors team could have done if just Durant had gone down and Thompson had stayed healthy. Because I think even if Thompson had stayed yeah. healthy, they might have been able to bounce back. But like you say, one injury can be the difference between championship and, and not, for sure. Yeah, and, and I mean, Mike Conley's no spring chicken. I, I think we could have some good years with him, but, but mm-hmm. I, it could just change in a second. So fingers crossed, not on wood, nothing happens. Um, but that's going to be on my mind all season long. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think... One of the big things for me that's in the back of my mind, and um, uh, like I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm extremely optimistic for the season ahead. Um, but I also I, I look at last year, and you know I think that after we came off that exciting series against the Thunder, um, and then we had you know obviously the series against the Rockets, yeah, they beat us pretty handily. But I think in the back of all of our minds, we thought, okay, well, what if Rubio hadn't gotten hurt? What if Exum hadn't gotten hurt? What if Donovan Mitchell in that last game hadn't gotten hurt? And we just all kind of thought, okay, we looked so good minus those things in that series. And then we'll have a whole offseason to improve. And then last year, I mean, not only did we get off to a really slow start, but the finish was disappointing. And it kind of felt like a letdown of a year. And I just hope that we're not, you know, lining ourselves up for something similar to that this year. Yeah. Well, as much as the schedule looks better this year, there are difficult stretches. And it's still going to be tough early. And and they're going to have to weather some storms. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. Definitely. And I mean, like you said, it's good to see that December is not just the gauntlet. It's been in years past, um, but still, yeah. there's going to be tough starts. I think the beginning of the year, especially as we're adjusting to one another and whatnot, I wouldn't be surprised if we start out, you know, a pedestrian like 500 um, by the time we're getting to mid-November or so. And there might be a little bit of uneasiness, but hopefully they just turn it around from there. and We don't get into quite the hole that we've started out in the past two years. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them right around 500, yeah yeah for sure well just to just for this first point to conclude maybe on a little bit of a higher note and and you just barely touched on this ryan but um you know recently for the j notes i talked about there were three things that really stood out to me from uh from media day and that was you know confidence uh chemistry and and you know the, the belief that they could win a championship and you know on the chemistry front um like you said i'm feeling really good about that you know one because even if we hadn't seen any of these quotes or anything i mean conley and vaganovich are probably two of the most you know low maintenance easy to like guys in the league so them fitting with just about anybody would be easy to do but then you also just see how everyone seems to be getting along you know you have gobert talking about vaganovich lobs you have conley you know already trash talking with mitchell and ingles and things like that and i feel like the chemistry is going to be great and that's a really good sign to see you know even this early
Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, one thing that, that is interesting that, you know, this is something I hadn't really thought of, but it's a storyline I'm excited to keep an eye out for. Um, one of my good friends who's a, who's a big jazz fan texted me the other day and he was like, you know, I feel like as to be expected, you know, ESPN's covering all these guys like the Lakers and the Clippers um, and the Rockets. And a lot of them have this mentality, like you have LeBron James um, and Anthony Davis that kind of have a chip on their shoulder. You know, neither of them made the playoffs last year. Um, you have, you know, the Rockets with Russell Westbrook and James Harden that want to prove anyone doubting them wrong. It seems like you kind of have almost like these these uh, like drama-filled situations on these other big market teams. Then you have the Jazz that just look happy and chill and, and just ready to go out there and take the league by storm. It's just going to be interesting to see how those two different mentalities kind of play out where the Jazz are just kind of taking things in stride and some of these other teams almost have like a, this focus and this drama-filled focus on them already. Yeah, I think it's awesome. They, they, they look loose, and that's how you want to be. You don't want to be tightening up and have distractions, and I don't think we're going to have that with the Jets. Yep, I agree. And speaking of that, one last thing before we move on to our second segment. Um, did you happen to see the tweet from the Los Angeles Lakers Twitter uh, last night? Where you know they posted the final score of the preseason game and said something along the lines of "Consider this a warning, NBA." Um, I don't know if you saw it or not, but it just had me cracking up because I'm like, "Leave it to even the Lakers Twitter, uh, you know, social media team to be, you know, sipping the Kool Aid here." <laughs> yeah, and feels like part of the course, uh, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm not denying they could be a really good team. We'll see if they get it all put together. Really but it just seems so funny to be, you know, one preseason game and they already think they're back to. A championship team but we'll see all right well with that said let's go ahead and move on now to our second segment um ryan are going to talk a little bit more about our specific reactions uh to last night's preseason game point two all right so you know I- i'm sure it wasn't quite the you know the riveting uh, competitive game some of us you know are looking forward to seeing once the regular season gets underway uh but it was great to see the jazz back on the hardwood last night against the adelaide 36ers uh final score 133 to 81 uh, obviously, right in a game like that, it's going to be a lot more positive than negative. Uh, but I just your overall thoughts on, on the first time we see this new look Jazz team, uh, albeit minus a few parts. Excuse me, a few pieces. Uh, what what was your your main takeaways from that game last night? Uh, it's just fun to see our guys on the court in uniform, yeah. the officials, and the score being kept. It's an actual game. <laughs> the season's here, and, and, and it's all good. Um, as far as the game itself, not a lot to discern. Um, I, I will say this. Watching Jeff Green is it, just like a breath of fresh air. I mean, we all love Derek Favors and the Twin Towers was great that we had here. Um, but I don't think we've had a big man that can move that way, even at his age. Yeah. I, I was racking my brain and I couldn't think of anybody more recent than when we had AK playing before that could really just like move down the court like he can. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, you know, he actually had, an, I thought he had a really good showing last night. Again, everything should be taken with a grain of salt against, uh, you know, the 36ers. Sure. But, like, I mean, come out and, you know, he shot six of eight from the field and two of those were threes. Um, having that, you know, him as a corner three presence is going to be, you know, exceptional. Um, I thought that he had good energy, uh, you know, all throughout the summer. That was one of the things. I don't know if you heard the podcast I did with uh, Christian Dudley, who writes for the Grizzlies. But his biggest thing with Green was like, yeah. if he's focused, if he, you know, if his head's in the right spot, he can be very effective. And everything we've seen from him so far is that he's locked in and excited to contribute for this Jazz team, which is a great sign. 
Yeah, I mean, he's a highly skilled player, and he has a ton of experience, and, and I mean, my, my memory's a little bad in my old age, but I, <laughs> I think he was like a top five or six pick, and he has that level of talent. Um, obviously, you don't want to be counting on him to be your guy, and some other teams have, have kind of made the mistake of counting on him to come in and, and change their fortunes or be the missing piece. He's not that, but what he does bring to the table... I think it's just going to be so beneficial to the Jazz offense. Yeah, and, and you just touched on it, but I mean, um, even at his age, he he's more athletic than a lot of guys the Jazz have had, especially in that position, as you just alluded to. Um, but seeing him being able to yeah. get him on the court, it's going to be great. Well, and there's, there's that stat that's kind of rolling around throughout the summer that he, he had more dunks than Donovan had last season. That's right, yeah. So just, just having a guy with that level of versatility and athleticism, it's going to be awesome. And that's kind of the whole roster. You can kind of mix and match a lot of ways. Um, as far as the big men go, Royce O'Neal, who a lot of us think, you know, maybe started before or played a lot of minutes before, he looked awesome. Right. And I remember there was a play, I want to say it was in the second quarter, he, he switches right to left, dribble on the drive, and he throws in this nifty offhand single roll. And, and that's something that, that he kind of started last season where he, he was making a conscious effort to go to the basket more and, and do more than just kind of be a stationary guy in the offense. And, yeah. and if he can continue to develop that, I think it's just going to be huge for the Jazz. Yeah, I agree. And really, that was my biggest encouraging takeaway from that game was Royce O'Neal. I mean, um, you know, on the floor for 22 minutes, a, a decent amount. And I just thought he was superb in his minutes um, not only was he efficient, you know, five or seven from the floor, but um, he also, you know, had a tie for the most assists on the team. He had six assists as well, was a plus 34. And just all around, he looked impressive. And he's one of those guys that I feel like for the Jazz to really reach their ceiling this year, obviously we all know Mitchell needs to improve. Um, you know, we need, you know, pieces to fit. But I feel like if Royce O'Neal takes a huge leap this year, that could be one of the key factors to the Jazz being, you know, a real championship contender this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, he... Even in this era of super teams, you need guys four, five, six, eight, nine, ten that can bring something to the table. And right. obviously, we know what he can do defensively. And there have been times when he's been a great three point shooter as well. But a more complete game for Royce O'Neal is just, it changes things. Yeah. And I thought it was so interesting that, you know, across the board, we know the Jazz shot horrible in that five-game series against the Rockets uh, this past year. But Royce O'Neal was actually the leading three-point shooter for the team. And so, um, you know, that was a good sign to see. And if he can really convert himself into, you know, not just a 3 and D player, as you said, Ryan, that stands in the corner and waits for the ball, but a 3 and D player who can attack off the dribble as well as he's started to show, man, he's going to be an awesome, awesome piece. Absolutely. Um happy to see Eric Griffin out there for the 36ers, Jazz's first ever two-way guy, and he never really got a chance for the Jazz. I don't think he got into a game. That's right. Um, but, but it's nice to see he landed in the NBL, and he, he played pretty well last night, and he had a bunch of block shots, and he scored some. I, I don't really follow the NBL a lot, but it, it just feels like it's a league on the rise a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, it's been cool to see the past two years. Um, you know, Adelaide was here last year as well as Perth. 
And then I don't know if you happen to catch that segment where, um, you know, on, on AT&T Sports, there was the, the guy that covers the NBL that was speaking. And, yeah, he had a lot of great things to say about the rise of the league. And um, ironically enough, he mentioned that Adelaide's probably not even going to be what they see as a playoff team in the NBL. So that even sh- tells you more what kind of competition we were up against. But still, it's it's great to see the game growing overseas. Um, likewise, this is a little bit of a tangent too, Ryan, but you know that, you know, my number two team is the Pacers. And I had the, you know, a fun time watching them play in India these past two days. And that was cool. It was a cool environment. You had all these kids just going crazy. And it's great to see just the expansion of the game across the board. Yeah, it's, it's really become an international game. And, and it's really awesome. It's, it just helps the game tremendously. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it was, um, I don't remember who it was on Twitter, but someone tweeted out, you know, just looking at the people that were major award winners for the NBA this past year. And, you know, you have Antetokounmpo, you know, from Greece. You have Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year from France. Um, you have, um, you know, Luka Doncic, obviously, as, as Rookie of the Year. And just it's it's cool to see all these different uh, talents from across the world being infused together. And it, it makes the league better. It makes it more com- competitive. It makes things more exciting. Um, as disappointing as FIBA was to see Team USA go down when they did, it's it's still also awesome to see it becoming more competitive worldwide, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, but while we're talking about basketball as a whole, becoming this great international thing. Um, I know FIBA is wanting to make their World Cup kind of a big a big event almost to match the Football World Cup. And it's kind of hard for that to be the case when you can't even watch your own team participate. I mean, it's great if you had ESPN Plus, but I wasn't watching any games. It's just unfortunate that that happened. Yeah, yeah, it makes it tough. You know, I... I went on a limb and, and purchased ESPN Plus for one month and then, and then canceled it afterwards. Uh, but definitely would be nice to make it a lot more easy to get a hold of. Getting back kind of to the Jazz game against the 36ers, um, it was nice to see Nigel Williams-Goss kind of have some success. But I'm, I'm very curious to see what he'll do against actual actual competition. Right. Uh, that first summer league that he came in, he just looked kind of lost and a step slow and, and he had a hard time and, and he went over to Europe and he had a couple good years. The first year he was, he was at the lower, he was at the Euro Cup level, Euro Cup level which, which is not the highest level of competition, but last year he was in the Euro League and he had a good season and, and he's such a good kid and you know he's a vocal leader and, and you, you want him to do well, but I, I'm curious to see if it'll happen because he, he really did struggle in that first summer league. Yeah, I agree with you. And he, I mean, he's fun to watch. He had a good outing last night. Um, obviously, once we get against NBA competition, going to be interesting to see how he does. And that brings up an interesting point, though, is, is one thing that I felt from the game last night was, you know, we're, we're really deep um, in that, you know, we, we had four guards who figured to be part of the rotation that were in action, you know, with Mitchell, Exum, Conley, and Amudier all sitting um, and I thought that, you yeah. know, you know, Williams Goss stepped up and played well. I was really impressed with Mieoni. He had some moments in that second half where some of his athleticism and burst really impressed me. And just it's gonna it's great to see we have this depth toward the bottom of our, our depth chart and how it all comes together is gonna be really intriguing to watch. Yeah, for sure. I think it was Tony Jones that tweeted that he looks like a, a rotational wing, but he might not even get on the floor just <laughs> right. speaking to the depth. Jazz have so many guys. Um, but that's a good problem to have. That's what you need to have if you're really going to be a championship contender. You need to have good players that can't play because you have other good players. 
Yeah, so true. Such a it's a it's the best problem you can have, obviously, to have that depth, have that security, and you honestly hope you don't need it because everything else is humming and the guys that are supposed to step up do. But it's nice to know that you know when and if there is an injury or or if a guy you know stumbles, there's someone right behind him pushing him and, and trying to overtake that spot that could make the Jazz better. Yeah, and the versatility in the roster really helps. Yeah. With that too. I mean, like you said, Mitchell, Conley, like no, those guys are playing. Um, but we we got to see kind of a point guard by committee at times. Yeah. We saw Joe Ingles running points a lot, and, and again we said this a lot. It's the level of competition they're playing, but but last night it worked pretty well. Yeah, and I, I think Ingles, um, you know, with as a primary ball handler, we saw it work a lot with the, you know the pick and roll Derek Favors, and saw some good things again last night. I have a feeling, especially in that second unit, we might get a lot of. Um, of Ingles, you know, handling the ball. And, I mean, along those lines, even uh, Gerald Brantley even got in and, and played some point forward. So, but, yeah, it just speaks to your point yeah. about the versatility. It's, it's great to see, and it'll be a great asset for us all season long. Yeah, it, it was great to see, and it, it'll be better to see it work against an actual NBA-level opponent. But, but just for now, you know, it's nice to see basketball's back, and the Jazz came out to win. Yep, yeah, definitely. I think the last person that really stood out to me, you know, speaking of people like Williams Goss, that last time we saw him in action, maybe it was a little disappointing, and they, and they looked good last night, uh, was, was Tony Bradley. I mean, he obviously had a great game. Um, still would like to see him be a little more forceful around the rim. I feel like, you know, he had a lot of those little off-the-backboard ones, which they work just fine, but I feel like he's going to get swatted yeah. a ton in the NBA if he tries that. He's got to go up and just bring the hammer down and, and get those two points. That's so true, and then... Like, it's good that you can be a big man and you can finish that way, but if that's the only way you're finishing, you're you're in trouble. Right. And it was fine last night, but, yeah, you really, he's so big and so talented, so long. You want him to be able to, I feel like we've been waiting for it to happen. And, you know, he's a young guy and there have been players ahead of him, but he really needs to make his presence known this year. And that's a big part of it. I, I mean... The man's league, you got to be able to finish among the trees. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, on the on the flip side of that, my his rebounding has has remained one of his best traits, and so it was good to see that still in force. Um, but yeah, I think these next few preseason games, he's a guy I'm really going to have my eye on because you know if Gobert or Davis have to miss any extended amount of time, we're going to need him to be able to come in there and rebound, finish strong, and hopefully you know do a little bit of rim protection as well. So he's a guy I'll be targeting for the rest of preseason for sure. Yeah, during his last summer league, he showed a little bit of the, the rim protection, which wasn't really part of his end role when he was drafted. But, but yeah. if he can have that, it changes a lot for him. I think it'll really give him a better path to playing time, but, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Well, you know, I think that's a good summary of the game yesterday. Obviously, you know, the, the expected result took place, which was good to see. Dominant win by the Jazz. Hopefully the, the first of many, uh, not only in preseason, but throughout the year. Let's move on now, Ryan, to our last point. We're going to talk about some of the more under-the-radar things we're excited about in the upcoming season. Point three. All right, so for this final point, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot of things Jazz fans are really looking forward to next season. And, you know, um, not only on the podcast, but also at thejanos.com, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, the improvement of Donovan Mitchell. Can he take a third-year leap? Uh, obviously, we've talked about the newcomers, Mike Connolly, Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, but for today, for this final segment of the show, Ryan and I really wanted to talk about some more under-the-radar storylines that we're excited for on um, this upcoming season. 
And so I'll go ahead and go first, Ryan. The first one for me, and we've already talked a lot about him last segment, so we don't have to do a ton more, but I am just so excited to see Royce O'Neal. I think this year is going to be massive for him. And as excited as I am for Donovan Mitchell, and even though I realize Mitchell is probably the most important piece of this team and his growth, I, I may be just as excited or more excited to see how Royce O'Neal improves because I have really high hopes for him this upcoming season. Yeah, and, and I think it's really important that he, he can take another step. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, it's like the great Spurs team who we talk about the big three, but, but you got to have a Bruce Bowen or Sean Elliott or you know what, whoever it was. That, that can do other things and, and carry the load at times and, and be a defensive stopper. And, and the Jazz need Royce O'Neal to be that guy. For sure. And, you know, obviously there's been a ton of conversation um, with a lot of speculation coming from the Athletic um, that, you know, Royce O'Neal may be the starter at the four. Um, I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are as far as where Royce would fit best. I've kind of been in the camp all along that um, I, I, I like the idea of him starting and Joe Ingles coming off the bench. But then I'll be honest with you, last night I kind of got thinking about it more, and as we saw, um, you know, Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles playing quite well with one another, and Jeff Green obviously played with those starters, I am kind of leaning maybe it would be best to start Jeff Green, even if O'Neal and Ingles are playing more minutes than Green, you have Green be your starter, and that second unit you have two dynamic guys in Ingles and O'Neal that can both handle, they can both pass, they can both shoot the three, and I, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see what his role ends up being, whether it's a starter off the bench but I may have started to change my mind a little bit that maybe I do want Royce coming off the bench and being a leader along with Ingles in that second unit. Yeah, I, I think it speaks to the evolution in this game. I think there, there was a thought process by some that he would sit best with the starters because he's not a guy that needs the ball and right. he's a little more limited than some of their other weapons. So if you put him in with the starters, it takes that pressure off him. But, but really... If his game is evolving to the point where he can be a playmaker with the ball in his hands, in addition to the shooting and the defense, you want to take advantage of that. And like you said, we saw a little bit last night, and I like that combination as well with him and Eagles. And I do think his game is growing beyond the point that he's just a guy who's out there for defense and whatever you get. For yeah. him, is just icing on the cake. I think he has things to, to contribute for himself, plays to make for himself, and then maybe as a second unit guy, he gets a chance to show that more. I am maybe with you. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like a lot of times we put a lot more stock into the starting lineup than we should, because at the end of the day, I mean, no matter who starts, Quinn's going to give people the, the most appropriate number of minutes. He's going to do his best to have the best closing group on, you know, at the end of the game. I, honestly, that closing group in a lot of ways is way more important, important than who starts the game. Uh, but, you know, my thought even with saying that is um, it may come down just to who fits the best with the other starting four, because we know who four of the five starters are. And if it ends up looking like, you know, Jeff Green actually fits with this group more than O'Neal, or vice versa, if O'Neal fits better, then maybe they'll stick with that. But I feel like there could be, you know, they could come to a point where it's almost like, okay, Jeff Green actually fits in really well, well with these starters. And like you said, Ryan, maybe it's okay, O'Neal can do a lot more um, as a distributor and as a creator that he fits better as a, as a scorer in the second unit. I could definitely see there being a bit of a shift just based on fit with the other starters. Not so much who's the best player or who's the who's the guy you want to be, you know, your best player at that four spot, but more come down to the best fit within that lineup. Yeah, yeah, really. And and, and honestly, last year, 
there was a bit of a movement with, with some of the fans of, of wanting to see Jay Crowder start right. um, just because he fits so well with that lineup. And, and I think at one point, Quinn Snyder talked about he would start guys based on matchups, but really in the end, we just saw favors starting, you know, most of the time. Yeah. I don't, maybe this season we'll see it switch, you know, based on opponent and, and matchups and, and Green and O'Neill can both sort of get, get a bite at the apples are starting. Um, but, but in the end, I, I, it goes back to the military phone thing. It's not who starts, who finishes, and, and I think we'll see O'Neill finish a lot of games. Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point. Like I, I love Quinn Snyder. I think he's an excellent coach, um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be intriguing to see. For example, like you know, if you recall in that playoff series against the Rockets, he did make that switch and he did start Jay Crowder, which a lot of people thought was yeah. kind of too little, too late at that point. Um, but maybe we'll uh-huh. see even him become a little more versatile this year. Maybe when we're playing a team like take the Detroit Pistons that have a Blake Griffin and an Andre Drummond, maybe in that lineup we're going to start bigger, whereas when we're playing against you know a team that, that has a small ball four, maybe there's where we start Royce. And um, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a flexible lineup based on opponent uh, so, long as the, so long as it doesn't affect the chemistry or the game plan as far as other things go. But I wouldn't be opposed at all to seeing us using that versatility um, to make sure we match up better against other teams as well. Yeah, I mean, the Raptors did it a little bit last year. Um, with Surge starting some games and, and you know just based on opponent and they won the championship so right yeah that's a great point so you know Royce obviously was one of my under the radar things I'm looking forward to next year what about you Ryan is there anything under the radar about the Jazz or NBA as a whole that, that you're excited for next season well so this this one may, may not be under the radar in our neck of the wood but I, I I really am curious to see how Gordon Hayward can rebound and I know that some, some of the earlier jazz fans <laughs> that read our stuff don't even like when we mention his name, but, but okay. Uh, I'm really curious to see if he can return to form. Right? There's a lot of talk from some people that, that he's back. I mean, we had Dennis Cantor saying he should be looking towards the All-Star game, and uh, Danny Ames said that he's Gordon. He looks like Gordon when he's back. Um, recently, while at the same time saying we need to temper expectations. And I'm curious to see if that's true and if he is back. And if he is, how is that going to work with, with their setup as it is now? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of mouths to feed over there. Yeah. And I mean, even you look at last year, and obviously Hayward had a disappointing year. I think a lot of that could be attributed to, you know, trying to come back from injury. Um, but there was seemingly some drama in the locker room uh, regarding, you know, Stevens and Hayward and what Hayward's role was in that team. Now, whether he is back or not, I think it's still going to lead to a lot more uh, strenuous situations along that front and, and <laughs> going to be so interesting to see how that comes together. Likewise, you know, with, with Cantor and, and Kemba, and, and you know me, I, I love Kemba, um, not, not so high on Cantor, obviously, yeah. but just defensively, um, that Celtics team is going to have their work cut out for them. Going from Horford to Cantor is a huge downgrade, and as much as, as Kemba Walker is, he's a very much a high effort guy on defense, uh, a lot of times his size can be exposed big time defensively as well. So how that all fits in with Hayward, too, is going to be way interesting to, to keep stock of. It, it really is. Um, I will say this, I think... Some of the drama, I mean, we had the stuff with Hayward, that Kyrie brought a lot of drama himself. Definitely. I, you, you, you think that with Kemba it's going to be a different deal, but, but who knows? I mean, if, if the Brad Stevens, Gordon Hayward, one affair is happening and you're 
running, we see we're picking rolls and Kemba's not touching the ball. How's that going to play out? Right, right. And you have Jason Tatum out there and Jalen Brown. And these are rising stars in the league. And <laughs> it, it's just, it's hard to see Gordon being this Utah Jazz version of himself when there's all this other stuff going on. I mean, if he, if he can get there and they can work it out and, and everyone's happy and, and there's not drama, I mean, the Celtics are as good as anybody in the league, but there's a lot of ifs in play there. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think on one hand, it makes sense that he could very much come back to his old self. I mean, you look at, you know, similar injuries to his, such as the one that Paul George suffered, and there was a big adjustment period. He had to have that whole other season back before he really got back to his old self. But ultimately, he obviously has gotten back and exceeded his old self. Um, so on yeah. that front, you could definitely see Hayward bouncing back. But on the other front, I mean, I think we all knew this when he left the Jazz, that the opportunity and the keys he was handed here in Utah, um, he probably wasn't ever going to get that kind of a green light or that kind of path again uh, with this Celtics team. So even if he's back 100%, I, I don't know that he's ever going to be that same player that he was in Utah for that reason. So do you think Gordon Hayward has a realistic shot at being an all-star this season? Do you think that's a real thing? I do, um, but more so because he's in the Eastern Conference than, than anything else. I yeah. mean, honestly, if he if he gets back to being a 18 to 20 point per game guy and is efficient, and the Celtics are in the top three in the East, I mean, almost by default, just <laughs> just because of a lack of candidates, I think you'll have a great shot of getting it. Um, if you're in the West, um, I don't think there'd be a chance whatsoever. Even if he was back to the, the all-star Gordon Hayward from the Jazz, I don't think that Gordon Hayward gets an all-star appearance this year in how deep, with how deep the West is. I totally agree. It's, it's, it's not easy making an all-star game. And honestly, looking back on it now even, it, it's almost a little surprising that Gordon Hayward got the all-star nod. I mean, a lot of people around here thought Rudy Gobert should have gotten the nod. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be tough for him. I, I wonder even if he's going to be the day one starter. Uh, I mean, we saw where right. Stevens tried to, to, to give him a little bit of run with the starters early last season, and then he got moved to the bench. You have guys like Marcus Morris playing ahead of him, but right. um, I'm curious to see if he'll, he'll get a shot again uh, immediately this season. Right. I will say, and this is another intriguing little aspect of that whole thing, um, from little things I've seen and read, um, it does sound like Kemba and Gordon Hayward actually have a pretty good relationship. I don't know if you recall them bantering with one another back at the All-Star game when they were both in it together. Obviously, Gordon Hayward yeah. signed, that offer, signed that offer sheet excuse me, with the Hornets back in the day. And so even though we have that, that it's now a famous meme where, or a gif, I guess you could say, where both Hayward and Kyrie look at each other and smile, I don't think they ever had that great of a relationship. I think that uh, Kemba and Hayward may be off to a better fit um, just in that alone. So maybe that in and of itself makes him a better fit with the starters. But who knows? It, it's such a huge question mark. It's really hard to guess. It really is. But honestly, even with some of the lingering vitriol, I mean, I think most of us here in this area kind of calm down on that stuff. Yeah. Um, but even with the holdouts, like, I, I think you have to root for the guy. I mean, his decision was what it was. I guess that's a way to do business. But, but away from all that, he always felt like a, a, an okay dude. Maybe he's just a different kind of guy. He's not super bubbly. He's not yeah. maybe the most family guy all the time, but, but he seemed like a good dude. He's a family guy and he's doing his thing and I just hope for the best one. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, Ryan, that you're going to have a hard time convincing a lot of Jazz fans to think that way, uh, which I can also definitely understand. Um, but for me, especially with especially with the injury, I mean, I hated how he handled his Jazz departure. All of us did. Um, but at this point, um, especially this is another conversation we could have, but especially because I think in hindsight, the Jazz might be better off now than they would have been otherwise, which is crazy to say looking back. But especially considering where the Jazz are now, I feel like it's kind of water under the bridge. And with the injury he suffered, uh, I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't want to see him, you know, having a miserable experience out there. He, he brought us, uh, you know, um, one of the best years we've had in the last decade. Um, it was his last year here. And I hope that he can bounce back and have a good year. Um, though I, I hope it's not it's not too good. I hope that obviously the Jazz keep on punishing the Celtics. <laughs> you know, I always wonder. D. Will was able to come back. I mean, it took a decade, but he came back, and I think we like him now. I personally, I mean, I I think you're in the same boat. And uh, D. Will's always been one of my faves. Yep. So I was happy to see that happen. Do you think Gordon Hayward will ever have that moment? That is a great question. I mean. With me and D-Will, I mean, Darren Williams was my idol all through high school. I mean, I I was pretty young during the Stockton Malone year, so obviously I loved them. But Darren Williams was the first basketball player that I feel like as a, a conscious, uh, <laughs> like almost adult or whatever you want to call it, that I actually connected with. And so I, I really yeah. never held a grudge against him. I always loved D-Will. So I was glad to see him, yeah, right those wrongs and, and kind of, you know, repair those bridges. Uh, with Hayward, though, it's almost like I don't know how – I don't know how he would do it or what would have to happen because I feel like with Darren Williams, it was that sit down with Jerry Sloan that just kind of washed away all those past feelings of, of disdain. Um, what would Hayward have to do to win back jazz fans? I don't know. That's a, that's a hard question. Or would he care to? I mean, that's the other question. Would Hayward care? Does he care about that? I don't know. And maybe not. Maybe he, he, I mean, he obviously didn't care how he left the fan base the first time. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it's crazy, like, you hear these stories like years after the fact about kind of how surly Dino was around that whole situation. Yeah. But but ultimately, a lot of that happened behind closed doors in the locker room. What, what Gordon did was super public and and out there for everyone to see, and, and it was criticized not just by us here in Utah, but but people around the league. So it, he, he he has a, a big road ahead of him if if he wants to sort of make that reunion down the line, but I hope it happens. I hope he does well this year, and I hope someday Jazz fans can forgive him. Yeah. I mean, you never want to see these things where... I don't know. I guess I guess sometimes we get a kick out of how you know jazz fans probably will never forgive Derek Fisher. They'll probably never forgive Ennis Cantor. Those are kind of lower tier guys. But I don't know. For me, some of that that rancor and some of those bad feelings toward players is I don't I don't think it's necessarily healthy or a good thing. As funny as it can be at times. Yeah. Um, I, I think the one thing Hayward may have going against him though is not only was it how he left, not only was it the whole the whole uh, the call Gale stuff that, that everyone was harping on and stuff, but there were even interviews after the fact where. I don't know if you recall the one where there was that, oh my gosh, frankly embarrassing jazz fan video where he's like, have fun being LeBron's little B-word over in the Eastern Conference, Gordon. And so then Gordon was, to quote that fan, said, well, I guess now the Jazz are going to be LeBron's little B-word now that Jazz with, that he's with the Lakers. I don't know, things like that where he kind of stabbed back at Jazz fans that I think only threw more yeah. fuel on the fire. So I don't know. It, it, like I said, I think it'd be a long path for him back to get forgiveness or for Jazz fans to be open to forgiving him. But I don't know. Maybe you and I are just, just more chill in that regard, Ryan, because I'm, I'm pretty much over it, but his path is going to be interesting to see. <laughs> But 
Anyway, well, ending back on a, on just a strictly jazz note, I think I'll just say, like, you know, as I just mentioned, the good news about, you know, talking about Hayward and everything is I really do feel like the jazz, you can argue they're in a better situation than they would have been otherwise. I mean, Joe Ingles has exploded. Royce O'Neal um, obviously has, looks like he's going to be playing great. Donovan Mitchell, um, obviously now we're going to be able to, to pay Mitchell and Gobert when that time comes because they're not going to be worried about the Hayward contract. So a lot of positives there, and I mean, I think for next year, I'm just excited to see how Quinn puts it all together. I mean, he has a tough task in front of him, too, with so many talented players and just making it all work. That's a big piece of this championship puzzle that Quinn Snyder himself is going to have to be the main orchestrator on. He is, and I feel a little better about his ability to do so if we hadn't lost some of our, our good assistants. But, but you know what? Yeah. Honestly, I don't think there's anyone better in the league than Quinn to manage all that. I think Jazz fans have a lot of reason to be really confident. Yep, I agree. And, um, I mean, I love that we still obviously have Johnny Bryan. I think he is a huge piece of the Jazz development and success there. Um, last year, I know we were all a little bit worried about Igor leaving, and I think it did hurt to some extent, maybe maybe especially with Ricky Rubio. But obviously we weathered that yeah. storm, and, and I think Quinn and company are still going to be able to weather those storms quite well. Well, anyway, Ryan, thanks so much for coming back on. It, it has been way too long since we've done a show together, and we got to make this regular thing now. Yeah, I'll have to do it again. For sure. Well, everyone tuning in, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Make sure you give Ryan a follow on Twitter. His handle is at roundballruckus. Obviously, him and I both write for the J Notes. That's at J Notes on Twitter. Be sure to give us all a follow. And, and if you have the time, would really love a, a five-star rating on the podcast on iTunes. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, guys, Jazz Basketball is back. The 2019-20 season is here, and it's going to be awesome. Be sure to stay glued to the JNotes.com for coverage all season long and exciting insight from both Ryan, myself, and the rest of our team. Until next time, this is Jared Woodcock signing off. Thanks, guys. Go Jazz.